Hello, this is Eric with Dungeons and Tangents. You are tuning in to one of the early episodes of this podcast, so I wanted to make sure you know the quality of these early episodes is inferior to later episodes. I recommend checking out episode 14 or later. It's around that time that we really get our process figured out. If you're listening to this early material, I hope you forgive us for our learning curve, and thank you very much for listening. So this is episode uh, four of Dungeons and Tangents, which now finally has a name. Uh, <laughs> and in this episode, we're going to be talking about narration. Um, my name is Eric Dewhurst. I'm Chris Rutledge. And Chris comes to us from where? New York, New Jersey area. Yeah, we'll, yeah. I'll go with that. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, narration is probably a ridiculously broad subject. Yeah. The first kind of sub-subject that comes to mind is first person versus third person versus second person. Yeah. As a, well... You kind of have to look at it two ways, right? As as a player and as a DM. Um, As a DM, you need to be able to get your story across uh, in, in multiple ways. So... Through your narration, it's incredibly important that you're getting your key information and you're able to get across your story without really spelling it out for the players. Um, I I know when I first started, uh, you know, and and you're, you're building your campaign and you're coming up with some of your narration points of maybe describing the town that everyone is going to be going into or the environment that everyone's going into and you you have so much information that you want to convey to them yeah. but you don't want to overload them at the same time right like th- that's that's incredibly difficult to do so narr- using narration in the right way it, to to tell your story and getting that key piece of information off is uh, is a bit tricky especially for first time dms i was going to say you you do you write most of your own Campaigns from scratch. So, so it depends. Uh, so, um, if I am playing in Pathfinder, I haven't done any DMing in Pathfinder yet. Oh, okay. Um, but from my experience so far, it's only been adventure paths, and the adventure paths are written out really well, and they give you the content to narrate okay. to the players. So that problem is kind of solved for you. Um, which is, I think, one of the reasons why I really like uh, Pathfinder and their adventure paths. You can be a lazy DM. Well, it's, <laughs> no, it's, yeah. <laughs> but it's great for first-time DMs, though, too, right? Yeah. So it, for me, and I know tangent part of the podcast, oh, yeah. uh, when I first got into it, you know, I was a bit younger, and uh, third edition had just come out, and we started getting into it, and we go into the stores and we'd go through all these pages in and we started to realize like what it meant to be a DM and how much information you would constantly convey to your players <laughs> and it's incredibly overwhelming for a young kid so yeah. so as as time went on I think uh, I think the people of Paisa kind of realized that so when they created these uh, adventure paths especially for first time DMs it is a little bit hand holding but it's done so well because it's done by real writers who are used to narrating and creating scenes and being able to deliver information properly at the right time too 
it's it's given them the ability to to get used to it and i think it's great jumping off points to use as an example for when they want to actually go and, and create their own environment or create their own campaign and i was an idiot and uh the first campaign i ran i was just like i'm gonna make it up from scratch they're not wrong with that. Well, there's nothing wrong but with it. But it's tough. It was it's tough, it was especially tough. if you have nothing to, to lead off from an example. Right. It was... I, Robert gave me some examples. He gave me Sunless Citadel, and uh, and I played some with him. Yeah. Mine's a Fandelver, and uh, uh, he gave me uh, Temple of Elemental Evil, which is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so he gave me examples of what not to do, what to do, and then played some games with him. And then I spent a month writing a campaign. And and I'd, I'd say that's <laughs> that's that's probably like probably your baseline of what you want to hit before you even think about introducing something to a player. Yeah. Is spending about a month's time writing, you know, backstory, scenery, NPCs, and 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 the lives of the NPCs that you're going to be interacting with. And then, um, well, yeah, it's. I think uh, a lot of DMing comes down to engaging the player. I mean, that's like, yeah, that's like, if you're not engaging the player, then it's it's all over. Yeah, absolutely. Um, making all the backstories for like every NPC in that first village that I wrote had like too much backstory. <laughs> every one of them had, and and the, of course they went into town, yeah. talked to the barkeep. Moved on, and they went right by everybody else. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can't railroad the players, right? No, because at that point, then there's no point in playing. My intention was to make it a you know lush, huge environment with, and you're with hoping, so much content. You're hoping they're going to talk to everybody because they think it, you're thinking, or anybody, or anybody. <laughs> yeah, because you're expecting them like, oh, let's go talk to this person. Maybe they have a clue about this scenario or something else. Yeah, it's now. It's sometimes that's that's probably one of the the. The toughest things about being a DM is creating all that content, hoping that they touch it, and full well knowing in the back of your mind, especially yeah. if you're an experienced DM, that it's all going to go to shit at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've learned to accept that every piece of content I write may not be used now. It may be used later. But it can be used later. Yeah, yeah. yeah never throw it away. No. Never, ever. If you write something down... Um, definitely keep it. Don't get rid of it. Uh, hold on to those ideas because they absolutely can be reused. And who knows? You may have scripted out a six-month timeline or a 20-session yeah. timeline, and that timeline is probably going to go to crap. Oh, but yeah. save that other stuff for other timelines and other stories. Keep that as inspiration. Never get rid of it. Ever. So bringing it back to yes narration because yeah. we just went off on how do you write a campaign. <laughs> <laughs> <That's fine. laughs> When you play, do you play in character? For about 75% of the time, yes. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll give a great example, actually, because um, this is a character that I've been wanting to play around with, a character idea. I looked online before, and a bunch of other people have done it, and I took some cues from them. Um, so in the Pathfinder uh, session that I'm playing in, I play a half-orc who had his tongue cut out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So through his backstory, through his upbringing um, as a child, he had his tongue cut out uh, as an act of disobedience and, and, and correction of that disobedience. Um, you know, really harsh. Uh, but well, it's harsh to play as a... 
and I wanted that limitation because I wanted to I wanted to challenge myself a little bit and see how I could do it. And uh, we are about a dozen sessions in, and it's actually working out really well. That's and, insane. Now, before I did that, though, I asked the other players that I was playing with, this is the the route I'm going. Mm. Are you guys okay with this, right? Because yeah. it's going to be a little bit of a difficult challenge. That, that puts a lot of onus on them to interpret your yes. communications. Yes, it, which is also, depending on who you play with, absolutely hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> because you... The way I approached it was uh, they had initially uh, run up to him in a town. He uh, He's a war priest, so he has uh, a real large interest in other cultures and other uh, religions. So he had come to this new town, wanted to check out this new temple, and he had run into them in their, in their daily interactions throughout the town. And uh, one of the first things that happens is there's a town fair, and he comes up across this uh, uh, strength test. And one of the other characters is at the strength test. And the entire thing, the character doesn't say a single word, but he ends up intimidating in a funny way uh, the, the other character just through his emotions, his range of body language, and the other acts that he does. And he still conveys that he's uh, someone of, uh, of, of a, uh, a holy person. He's obviously a very strong, intimidating person, but the entire time... He's smiling. He's got the doofiest smile on his face. So the other character is having a problem interpreting this intimidating yet smiling person as they're like doing something aggressive but a smile on their face. Like it, it depends on how you convey those uh, the uh, those actions and that body language and the character. That it's, must have taken a lot of. Were were you acting all of this out? No, a, a lot of it was describing, narrating. Okay, it, yeah. so you are narrating, kind of a third as a third person. Yep. Uh, whatever your character's name is, does this. Yes, he's, he's doing this. He's doing that. Yep. Okay. Yeah, he's. Um, I'm narrating out the actions and uh, describing it enough where. I'm not forcing an emotion on the other person that I'm discussing, which is really tough, too. Um, you've got to be really careful because uh, yeah, that, as, as you're narrating out, um, so say, so say uh, you're trying to narrate a character who's trying to do some type of um, in, intimidation check on another person. You don't want to say, uh, Severin walks up to Dova and in stares at him grimacingly and, and, and strikes fear in his eye. You can't force that emotion right. on someone. You have to be able to know your point to stop, and then hopefully that person can also reciprocate and convey the proper emotion back to your action. Right. So it, it is kind of a give and take. It really depends. You have to know your audience, too. You have to know who you're playing with. Uh, and and some, of the, uh, some of the people that you're playing with might not be really into role-playing or right. really into narrating. So you have to also accept that you can invest all of this narration <laughs> in, and, and not get anything back, but yeah. still be okay with that because... Yeah. They might not be able to convey that they're getting thing out of it, but internally they're probably enjoying the hell out of yeah. it. Yeah, that's uh, so it's it, 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 it's a bit of a give and take. So Robert and I talked about the the same idea last time about how you uh, as a DM or a player you're painting a picture. Yeah, and you can't tell somebody what their decision is. Right, you can paint a picture of of the reality and hope that they perceive it. 
yes. the way that you want it, them to, so that they'll make a decision based on a correct perception. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so you're you have to paint a picture of your character so that people perceive it accurately. Um, and at times, as a DM, sometimes you'll have to say you think or you perceive something. And that, yeah. that, it, it crosses the line where you're, you're not just describing the situation, but you're telling them what they perceive. And that's, that, that gets hairy. <laughs> yeah, but so as the DM, your, your mission is to make sure that they're receiving the information you're trying to convey properly. Like, yeah. as a player, I think the only onus as a player you have uh, from a character standpoint is you're able to convey what that character feels at that time or with doing. Or, or doing. Yeah. And outside of that, that is it. The DM does have the ability to modify that feeling of that character, I think, the because... Feeling? Yes. Okay. The reason why I'll say that is because we're still within game rules, right? So you know what somebody's uh, intelligence score is. So hmm. you can use their intelligence score and say, okay, uh, uh, Saren walked up to this painting of this of what Saren initially feels is a very dark and mysterious painting, but intel uh, Saren's intelligence score and his knowledge of maybe a religion or a local will realize that this is actually a holy painting of, of Desna, uh, and, and he's suddenly inspired by that. You can right. change their feeling without necessarily changing the narration, right? but you need to know what those cues are. You need to know what those limits are, and I and think that's why some of the, some of the stats and some of the uh, uh, skills behind those characters uh, is important, and, and you... As a DM, you probably need to at least like have like a uh, a small one-off to be able to utilize those to to help reason why you're changing that character's perception or feeling and of that, that moment. That seems reasonable. I th I think that that gray area of changing perception is cool. It's when the the line that Robert and I talked about I think it was last time was you can't tell them what they decide based on their feelings. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, that's tough. That's, that, that's definitely tough um, because you... Well, at that point, you're kind of railroading the, the character. Exactly. Right? And you want to avoid the railroad you're taking as away, much as possible. You're taking away their... Free will. Their free, the yeah, their free will. They're no longer... They're no longer playing the game. You're playing the game for them if you're making decisions. For right, them. yeah, exactly. And then you're essentially taking the players and characters choice out of their hands and at that point like you said yeah it's yeah. it's not their game anymore it's yours so when okay uh new subject <laughs> uh when you're playing as a dm uh, when you're when you're dming a game mm -hmm. do you it's uh, still play <laughs> it's still playing i suppose it is sometimes it feels like work yeah <laughs> nah. uh not, not for me anyway when you're a DM, do you always do all your NPCs in 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 a character? Like, do you do you speak in their voices? Oh man, I try. I try, <laughs> I, I know I try, and, and I think you've seen an I, example of it. When yeah, I've, I've when seen I've, some when I've, great ones. When I've guessed it in, I always try to throw in a character too. Yeah. I, I try to because um, even if it's a mundane character voice, um, like if someone goes into a shop or you're, you're in a barkeep. 
or uh, you're in a bar and you're interacting with a barkeep. Um, you know, even in normal life, those people have stories. Those people are going to have attitudes and certain perceptions. Um, so say if you go into a bar and you're dealing with a maiden that is serving you food or beer and that person's had a bad day. In real life, you could go into Starbucks and your barista is going to have an awful day and they're probably going to give you an attitude. Right. It adds to the flair and it adds to the environment. And I really do try as hard as I can to try to be able to do that. Uh, it depends on my mood too. And it depends oh, yeah. on, it depends on the session. Uh, if I'm just starting out and the first thing somebody's doing is interacting with an NPC. Oh yeah. They're going to get a, they're going to get a full fledged out NPC <laughs> at that point. But if, um, if we're just getting out of a dungeon and they're coming back into town and it's almost like like five minutes when I think I'm going to end the session. Right. I'm going to try to put something in there, but I'm also not really thinking about it at, at, at the time. Um, and that's probably me just getting tired, like mentally and physically yeah. tired. But also, uh, when you come across a random NPC, like like an NPC that I need to come up with right then and there, that's a little harder. And maybe yeah. I'll go to like one or two generic voices and attitudes uh, that that I might keep with me. Um, but yeah, and also, um, I'm trying to think the, the, the best example to, to put this through. Uh, okay, um, so drow characters are yeah. usually universally hated, no yeah. matter whether we're talking about D&D or, or, or Galarian through Pathfinder. Hmm. Drow are hated everywhere. Right. Um, if any character comes across a drow, that drow is going to have a specific attitude. Or if an NPC has... Uh, um, if you're playing an NPC and that NPC comes across a drow or even a half drow as a player character, you need to be able to convey some type of emotion properly because everyone is going to be either scared crapless of that drow or immediately threatened and want to fight it. Right. So you have to be able to recognize that you know, drows have this, this notorious infamy. You have to convey that. Right. Properly. And if you don't, you're doing an injustice, I think, to the other players, too. Because if they if they come across a drow again later on, they're not going to feel that emotion. They're not going to feel that, that terror or fear. And and they might make a dumb decision, and you end up killing them. <laughs> and that, that's kind of... Uh, that goes into the the believability of the world. If, yeah. if your players know that drows are the evil elves of the world that, that everybody wants to avoid if they can. And you have an interaction that's mundane. Or even drow. or even chipper. Right. Yeah. Then, they, then, then there, any player that, that comes to the table with, with that background of knowing the history of drow is going to be like, it, it's going to take them out. Here? Yeah, it's going <laughs> to take them out, right? It's, yeah. it's definitely going to take them out of... of of what their initial perception is, yeah. And you're also uh, doing an injustice to some of the newer players that may have never experienced right. it too, right? You want to make sure that the idea that you have in your mind is as close to the idea that they're going to have in their mind as well, right? You, you want to make sure everybody's on the same, Just same at, level. As bizarre as this is, uh, well, I haven't played a huge amount of D&D. I have never interacted with Drow or Duragar. <laughs> uh, bizarrely, um, not not in the I gameplays mean, that I've done. Yeah, I, I mean it takes time. So it, one thing for me um, that, that 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 drives me crazy sometimes is 
um, some people will try to throw every uh, uh, iteration of race and class at you uh, all the time, no matter where you are. Uh, I couldn't you, you do can, that as a DM. That's, that's tiring. <laughs> I Well, so part of me thinks it might be just because they're not confident in their own storytelling or they think mm-hmm. they need to spice things up. Um, you know, you're not going to run into drow in the middle of... Of a, of a small farming town in the middle of right. the forest, right? You're you're probably never going to run into them there. Or if you're in the middle of uh, of a mountain range, or if you're in in mines, you're probably going to run into a dwarf at some point. Yeah. If you don't, that's a little disappointing, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> because there's there's different races and and there's different classes, and you know they all have their own habitats. And if you're just throwing random Right, random creatures in in an area because you really want to play with them. Well, you're kind of doing a little bit of a disservice. Yeah, that makes me think of what, of course, almost all D and D plays off of uh, Tolkien a lot, and he does such a great job of saying, "This is the Hobbit area. This is the human area. This is the the elf area," and. And these are their cultures, and these are how their cultures are different. And so much of D&D is just blatantly ripped off from that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, without talking, we wouldn't have any of this. So. No. <laughs> another reason why, and I swear to God, I am not a Paizo employee. <laughs> but another reason why I like their adventure paths is because um, they really do concentrate on knowing that you are in a specific area and you are more than likely going to run into a certain subset of creatures and races and they explain why they're there, what they're doing there, what their purpose is, why you may even run into a creature you normally wouldn't expect, probably because of X, Y, and Z. And you should maybe expect them because they might be there, uh, whether uh, they may have been left over from another war, and right. some of them are stragglers, stuff like that. Like They've they, been they, hired by somebody who yeah, was part of the campaign. They give a, a lot of, of backstory and reason as to why some of them are there. I've been listening to that Glass Cannon a lot, and yeah. there was at least one example of that. There's a, a, a troll of some sort in their first campaign uh, that they deal with. And one of the players is like, oh, there's a troll here. This doesn't make sense. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. There <laughs> was the DM had a, had a backstory for it. Yeah, exactly. There was, I believe uh, one of them was, it was a cave troll and another large creature. And normally those two creatures would never interact with each other. In fact, they're almost hated enemies. I, I can't off the top of my head remember what the creature was. But yeah, there's a reason for it, right? Right. Uh, you don't know what the reason for it is yet. <laughs> you, you may have been given a small sample, but there's definitely a reason for that creature being there, whether it's tied into the campaign, whether it's tied into the setting or environment that they're in. Yeah, th- there's always a reason for them to be there. It's not just thrown in for flavor or spice. Right. It's critical to the story and critical to the environment and the experience. Almost every subject related to narration comes back to, is it believable? Yeah. And is it engaging? One it, of those two. It, it, it has to be, right? Um, so one of the things for narration that, that really struck home with me um, as a DM was that I realized if I wanted to be able to convey 
that story and environment properly, I needed to read a lot more than I currently do now. <laughs> and um, yeah, because it well, just I'm be- screwed. <laughs> I barely read it all. But it, it helps though. Like being able to draw inspiration and mm-hmm. think of different ways of describing something really, really does help. And and the, the best way to do that is is to read other authors who uh, maybe maybe not even in fantasy, but um, like steampunk or sci-fi. Uh, it, it just taking some yeah. examples of how they are relaying information or how they're painting pictures for you as you're reading through chapters is super, super helpful. Would you say, you, you, you said, well, fantasy, sci-fi, um, I mean, steampunk falls into one of those two. Yeah. Uh, but all of those are uh, genres where you have to describe something that's not of our reality. So yeah, so um, it, regardless of whether it's uh, sci-fi, uh, you know, steampunk, cyberpunk, or even um, you know, uh, like you said, things based on our reality, um, it, as long as the author is really good at describing the environment you're in, and you're able to get a really good picture in your head about what they're conveying to you, you know, it, it takes some of those ideas and 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 bring them in and, and, and use them because if it's working for you, right? And, as a reader, and as a reader, as long as you can convey it in a very similar way, it's definitely going to work for your players too. Yeah, it's a, it's building your own vocabulary for how to describe yeah. a world in a way that's absolutely. Um, for for me, like Tolkien is. Uh, an obvious example of somebody who does such a good job of describing at least landscapes. Yeah. But he does, I think, kind of a shit job of personalities. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you look at, uh, like, if, if you compare the all the hobbits together, they're almost kind of all the same, right? Yeah. Uh, a hobbit is a hobbit is a hobbit and is a hobbit. And the dwarves, every dwarf except uh, Oakenshield is like, they're all pretty much the same. Okay, Bomber's got a, something going. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so complete opposite end of that, George R.R. R. Martin, fantastic mm. at building out personalities okay. and, and motivations and, and emotion out of each of these people. And the fact that he's able to do that and then throw them away <laughs> as quickly as they appear uh, has to say something about just how really good he's at. He, he can do that. That, uh, that reminds me of something. I just was listening to a podcast uh, the other day from Wizards or not, uh, yeah, Wizards of the Coast. It was the, the official D&D podcast oh yeah it's it's kind of all over the place like it's not the not the most consistent or no they're simple, they they interview anybody who says anything about D or yeah. even plays i'm sure we'll be on there someday <laughs> uh, but uh chris perkins was talking about something they asked chris perkins what is your uh number one advice for a dm and he said don't be afraid don't fear that you'll run out of ideas. Yep. Stop fearing that you'll run out of ideas and just use every idea that comes to mind because there'll be more later. Absolutely. Which apparently George R. R. Martin <laughs> doesn't care. No, no I that, mean that tomorrow he'll write another character. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. No, you can't you can't be afraid. And I think that's probably one of the biggest reasons why a lot of people don't get into D D is mm-hmm. fear. Whether it's uh, social anxiety or um, not being able to believe in yourself that you can create a different world than than, or, or even convey a world to someone else that you might not have never dabbled in. You know, it's, it's tough. I, uh, so here's a, uh, 
a question that I always wish I would ask myself, and I always don't, but I hear other DMs ask themselves, which is, I have a character, who's the actor that would play it? Oh, man. Do you do that? I, I try to. I mean, Glass Cannon Podcast. Uh, well, yeah, they I'll, do that all the time. Uh, they do it all the time. <laughs> and I am amazed at some of the references that these guys pull off. It's fantastic. And now, with that being said, two of them are actors. One of them oh, really? is a playwright. And oh, one of them that. is a voiceover agent. And the other one is a cameraman. So oh, okay. Their their experience in the film industry is is, yeah. is kind of a lot higher than mine. Yeah. But I watch random movies. I just never remember a name. I could put a face okay. to someone, but can never remember a name. Yeah, ever. I have trouble... But that helps. That, that absolutely helps because especially if you know that um, that person has played a really significant character. And even if you tie it to that person and that character it, that other people would know. Right. That, that helps in that perception of that person, the perception of that NPC and kind of what their attitude might be and even puts a voice in their head. So yeah, even if you don't use uh, a character voice and you use your own voice, that voice still kind of sticks in their head too if there's that association. So that, that absolutely helps. I, I don't even think it takes away from the experience because they're not thinking about the movie. They're just thinking about that character and what that character sounds like and how that character is perceived. And I, I think... In the players' heads, they might think of the game as kind of a movie. Yeah. And now that you have yep. actors assigned to roles, it starts feeling even more like a movie because you feel the depth in your head. Yes. Of, you know what is what does uh, uh, Patrick Stewart bring to being this king? Yep. Oh well, holy shit! Oh I know yeah. What, I know what Patrick Stewart would do sitting in that throne. Disapproving of somebody, his mannerisms and the way he would, his 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 tone and his cadence, absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. And even though me as a DM, I'm not going to do a very good Patrick Stewart impersonation. <laughs> no, 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 I got the, the hair down, the bald head, and that's about <laughs> it. Yeah, go figure. Um, no, so it, that also I think ties back into um, what we were talking about before in regards to reading a book. Hmm. If an author is able to paint that picture in your head really, really well, then uh, you're doing the same thing for your players, right? That's really the object. You want to be able to get that movie scape going in your head. Yeah. You want that movie scape going in your player's head, too. So if, it, if you think that's going to help them, I, I think it's a great mechanism. Uh, yeah, I, I just need to do it more often. It's, it's tough. <laughs> it's not easy. Yeah. I need to remind myself to, like, whenever I create an NPC, here are the questions I need to ask myself. Yep. Who's playing them? What's their motivation, uh, and what are they willing to do to get what they want? Yep. That's uh, this is actually Matt Coville. He did a, a session on NPCs. He said there's two questions you need to ask: What do they want? What are they willing to do to get it? Yeah. And once you know those two things, everything else is everything kind of falls into place. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Mo motivation, especially for characters. Um, really is kind of the engine that will drive their interaction with your players. And uh, as a DM, do you ever kind of ping your your players and ask them questions that'll vet out their characters more so that they'll yeah. add more depth? So I think one of the best things a DM can do is after maybe narrating or um, just having a lot of... of communication to the player about kind of what's going on you should stop and ask that player what their character is thinking at that mm. time right so say a specific event happens say there's a character death or an NPC death 
mm. pause after the event happens and do a quick round table of each of the characters or each of the players and ask them, so what is Saren thinking right now? He sees he sees Dova die right in front of him. Her throat is slit and their life has been taken out of their body and is now laying in the rocks. And Saren has this backstory with this person. What is her, what's going through his head right now? Let that player develop that character right there. And then that also gives motivation to the other players at the table to then feed off of that and build their characters just through that session alone. Like even if they don't have that great of a backstory, that person will try to convey maybe even their own emotion that they're feeling, whether it's their characters or not. Absolutely. Like, ask, ask them what their character's feeling at that time or what their reaction is to what has just happened. I just realized I've missed some great opportunities to help players, like, build their characters. Yeah. And I think I've, more often than not, railroaded past important moments in time and just uh, been like, tough. okay... Uh, you know, somebody just died. Let's. Uh, what do you want to do next? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's leave town. Okay. Yeah. Great. Great. <laughs> let's go for beers. Hooray, dead people. Um, yeah. No, that's that's tough, man. Yeah, you gotta. So, but that's just growing as a DM, yeah. right? Like, like. <sighs> You're not going to get that on session one. You're nope. probably not going to get that on session twenty. Uh, but yeah, that was session uh, like fifteen or sixteen. <laughs> but hopefully by session fifty or session one hundred, <laughs> you're starting to build yourself as a DM, and you're starting to add that to your repertoire. So I didn't ask you at the beginning. Normally, I ask, how long have you been playing? Uh, D&D or some variant of D&D? So, I uh, got into uh, third edition when I was, man, I think I was 12. That's about when Robert uh, and I first started? When when I first started, but prior to that, like, that's when I first started playing. Prior to that, I had known about it uh, for, for quite a while. I would wow. say probably since I was like six or seven. Um, at one point, before I started playing, um, I was so into Tolkien and I was so into fantasy um, I really loved loved dragons just because of 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 the importance in almost every story at that time that a dragon had played and the fact that they were almost like looked at like gods mm. and and they were these mythical creatures that you know always there but their origin stories were never never really fleshed out like no one ever explicitly or at least most authors back then never explicitly said dragons were made from right. X, Y, and Z because of this long hair. No, it was always just... They were just there. There was just the world, and there was always dragons. And yep. it was just kind of like an accepted thing. <laughs> um, but I really got into it. I remember I bought... Um, at the time, and my mom was really confused and, and tried throwing it away. Um, uh... uh I believe the book was named uh, The Anatomy of Dragons. Oh, and it that. had it had a, just a list of different origin stories of different dragons, different types, why they were there, why they were revered, why they were feared, what this, uh, what certain authors were using them as for tools for uh, conveying war or, or conveying destruction or conveying the end of the world. And they were more <laughs> metaphorical than anything else. And, and That's stuff a like rather that. in-depth thing to get as an eight-year-old, yeah, yeah I know. Um, but I, I kept it over the years, and I used a lot of that 
uh, a lot of that content in inspiring me when I got older, mm. just, just from like creating the character creation and stuff like that. And I, I loved, I love the in-depth explanation for it. So I think that ended up when I got into D and D. Um, really motivated me when I started getting into like the religions in like Pathfinder and D&D like all the deities and why they drove certain people and why they drive certain characters and why did this D&D why did this deity have a war with another deity and what the cause was and what their faiths were about and stuff kind of building the the political landscape behind the setting and and a lot of uh, a lot of character motivation is always at least in fantasy based off of somebody's deity or yeah. their experience, their religious experience that they've had. Another quote from Matt Coville, which is a quote from somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> he says, uh, fantasy is when your world reflects the emotions of your characters. So the deities are warring and the world is in conflict and there are volcanoes and yep. you know there's there's this this forces of nature all around that are in conflict and that usually is a reflection of the conflict between people yep yeah um, absolutely one of the probably the most common tropes at least from a D uh story perspective right is the paladin versus anti-paladin hmm. right the, the good versus evil yeah. and every representation of good versus every representation of evil right yeah so it, yeah it, it basically all boils down to that almost which yeah uh i think I can't remember if it was... No, it wasn't on any of these podcasts. I was talking about the the origin of most fantasy is Beowulf, which is the ultimate good warrior versus the ultimate evil yep. force of nature. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I, I mean, it's the same... It, almost every adventure is, at some point, boils down to the same story being told over and over and over again. Yeah. Right? I mean, we're not really original <laughs> no. in any way, shape, or form, but we enjoy it. Yeah. And, and in the end, that's really all that matters. As long as you're able to convey a really cool story, you might have some nice plots, uh, plot twists here and there, yeah. some and character deaths. And hopefully the, <laughs> the thing that I, I really look forward to when I go into D&D is being able to tell a story, if I'm a DM, tell a story and have everybody else be like, hell yeah, let's get into this story and yeah. modify the story yep. and change it from what I thought. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, the first players... time I played, I didn't think I wanted that. <laughs> I wanted to railroad them. Yep. But after like six or seven sessions, I'm like, oh, that's the magic sauce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It takes time, right? It's not, and that's not something that you can convey that to somebody as much as you want to that needs to be experienced yeah they have to they have to learn by the seat of their pants in that one right because one of two things are going to happen you're going to find players who love to be railroaded and who who want that that path set for them fine great we're going to run into character uh you're going to run into players who want to develop characters and want to be able to affect the story and know that their decision made a definitive change in this path that they're taking. Right. And um, you'll learn who your players are pretty quickly when you put them through one of those paces, whether they like it or not. So, yeah, every DM goes through that. Um, And 
to be honest with you, even if you think that you've kind of shed that stigma, you'll find yourself coming back to it at some point. And I think learning and growing as a DM is knowing when you're doing that and kind of pulling back and saying, okay, I I need to stop doing this. Um, And that's a really good time when I think if you think you're, you realize that that's happening, pull yourself out and let the players control it just by, again, asking them questions and yeah. letting them convey their characters a little bit more kind of pulls you out of that mindset a little bit. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to be making a lot of changes to the way I deal Good, <laughs> good. No, you should. Because, uh, I, like I said, you know, it's, it's all about growth. And as, as long as you're willing to accept change or know that you can change and that you want to and you want to take ideas, it, you'll be fine. Yeah. That's good. But, you know, but I'm sure there are plenty of people who play D&D or Pathfinder or some variant of uh, a tabletop where they just want the path. And as a DM, they just want to they just want to have a yeah. good time, have some beers, uh, eat some pizza and just just run through a hack and slash. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> That's I mean, honestly it's not you and I. No, no, definitely not. No, and and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. No. There, there really isn't. If you're a DM and, and you're like that, find other players that want that, right. right? Like, you have to be able to know your audience and know that that what you're giving them is, is enjoyable and... They need to be able to convey that to you too, right? Some people might not even realize that that's what they want. Yeah. Um, and, and that's tough. That's, that's... I think it all boils down to just having communication between you and your players and making sure that you know what they want and that they're aware of what your play style is. Right. And if you're so new that you don't know what your play style is, then just just, just let it. it just <laughs> yeah, just try. Just let it happen. Don't don't try to force anything on anybody, but go with the flow. Be be accepting to change and and be able to read your players to know if they're having fun or not. Yeah. And that's I've I mean, I've been playing for a year and a half. I've been DMing for about a year, and it's been a lot of, hey, you want to play a game? Sure. Yeah. And that's it. And there's no discussion of what style of DM are you? And it turns out that I like a little more narrative and a lot less uh, fight. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, uh, so we used to play 4th edition we still do and one of the things that drives me crazy is that 4th edition is just so much fighting 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 right. fighting 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 <laughs> that um, I don't play that as much anymore I still have this group that have been going on for 8 years and we s- crap. we still play every once in a while we'll get together like maybe once a month or, or okay. once every other month and, and we'll play just because it's it's friends getting together and having a good time but yeah man some of those it's just it's like a 4 hour fight and you're like why why are we doing this <laughs> why well because we're sitting around having pizza and drink, right. drinking beer it's, right. nothing wrong with that yeah it's just a mechanism for having fun that's all <laughs> it is uh I think I think we've kind of touched on the majority of quite everything. a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, we definitely got into narration. <laughs> and we definitely went on to some tangents. Yeah, so we're, you're you're fulfilling the uh, the title of the podcast yes. pretty well. Not bad. I don't think we specifically use the word dungeon. Did we? I did we? once. No, did. I, I did once yeah. describing coming out of a dungeon, and that yeah, was okay. about it. Fair, so fair enough. <laughs> 100% fulfilled. Great. Uh, are you going to be back in town anytime? Uh, probably in about a month or two. So oh, okay. Yeah. We'll yeah. either do another session or we'll play a game that day. Works for me. Okay. Absolutely. Um, Great. I think that's it. Uh, as usual, I give the end of podcast announcements. 
if you're listening to this, it would be insane if you don't subscribe because obviously you're a, a, a glutton for pain <laughs> and you want to listen to tangents nonstop. So uh, subscribe, uh, comment, uh, tell Chris that he's a jerk. <laughs> I mean, I hear it all the time. It's fine, whatever. Uh, especially if you're the, the one troll who's uh, been hitting us lately. <laughs> Um, what else? Uh, Go listen to Glass Cannon podcast. It's absolutely fantastic. I swear to God, I don't work for them, but they're amazing. And you're not in any episode of it? No, okay. not not yet. That'd be I'm, great. I'm but no, not yet. No, no. <laughs> it's just it's fantastic. It literally. I, I think one of the reasons why I love it so much is it's it sounds exactly like me and my friend just sitting right. down and playing. It's awesome. It's it's just they do so. So, so good. Audio quality is amazing. And uh, some of the character voices and characters that these guys have is just fantastic. All right. I think that's all we've got. See you later. Next episode, Robert and I discuss the use of maps in D&D. It's a subject we're both very passionate about. So get ready for a lively discussion. If you enjoy Dungeons & Tangents, please let us know by rating us on iTunes. You can also let us know by finding us on Twitter at Dungeon underscore Tangent and sending us a funny picture. That's all for this episode. Thanks for joining us. 